and her children, whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this short little letter that John wrote to a church. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as your sheep, Lord, that you pastor us, Lord. We, we learn and we are instructed by your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would instruct us this day. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, but also, Lord, challenge us to, be, to continue to pursue spiritual maturity. Lord, I pray for anyone who is here for the first time and have never been to this church. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts to understand the gospel. Lord, they would trust in Jesus Christ and that they would commit and pursue spiritual maturity in the church. That they would gather with us regularly, that they would come regularly, and they would commit as we all commit to grow in spiritual maturity. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those who are not with us, Lord, I pray that you would watch over them, that you would encourage them, that you, Lord, would pour your love and grace upon them. Lord, use your church to encourage them and to love them, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are distant from us. They haven't been here in a while, for whatever reason, Lord, and maybe there's sin in their hearts or something, something's happened, some, some disagreement, some conflict. Lord, I pray that you would bring unity and bring harmony, Lord that there would be reconciliation and repentance. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We thank you for those who are here for the first time. We pray that you would encourage them and that they would feel loved here at Redeemer Fellowship Church. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there is a, uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm on this kind of tangent the last few weeks. Bear with me. I, I think this is the last week I'll, I'll talk about something like this, but uh, last week, I talked about the issues of evangelicalism, right, and some of the concerns uh, that uh, I have and others have had about just the, those who claim this title but actually don't even actually believe in the basic beliefs of the faith, basic Christian doctrine, don't even believe that Christ Jesus is the Son of God or doesn't believe that the Bible is, is the true authority of, uh, of, uh, over their lives and of the church. Well, similarly, while there is a huge um, uh, gap 
when it comes to evangelicalism and actually people who claim themselves to be evangelical and actually believe in the Christian faith. There's another issue in kind of American Christianity that uh, is about, as I would call it, teenage Christianity. Juvenile Christianity. An immature Christianity. And to give you a little bit, let me give you a definition. The process by which the religious beliefs, practices, and development and characteristics of adolescence become accepted as the appropriate uh, beliefs for Christians of all ages. So what, and let me give you some background. In the 1930s and the 1940s, after, during, after World War I and before World War II, but especially after World War II, there was these uh, ministries, these, these kind of parachurch ministries that started pop- The first one you're very familiar with is um, the YMCA. The YMCA is a parachurch ministry that started in the early 1900s that primarily was not a gym. It was actually a parachurch Christian ministry for youth. Now, what ended up coming out of that is a ministry called Youth for Christ. And to give you a, a little bit, you've, you may not have ever heard of this ministry, but you know someone who worked for them. Billy Graham worked for Youth for Christ. Uh, kind of before he started his crusades, he was a staff member of Youth for Christ. And really what these ministries were about was it believed that the youth or the kind of the, the middle school, high school, college age were the future of the American church. And so there was a lot of emphasis on making Christianity uh, and Jesus in a way, and presenting it in a way that youth would accept it. And uh, so that's why in the 1950s and the 1960s, you had all of these parachurch ministries that were popping up, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, Navigators, um, you had uh, InterVarsity, uh, which I know that some of you may have read some of their books. Uh, InterVarsity is very liberal now, definitely has torn away from their original roots. But all these ministries started as ministries to reach the youth. The problem, though, is that it ended up producing... I, I, it failed to produce a deeply understood church that, that was that, uh, it failed to produce a deeply understood church-going Christianity. What ended up happening was is that it ended up never deepening anywhere. Where, so kids or youth would become Christians and then never spiritually mature whatsoever. They just kind of stayed adolescents in their Christian faith. While it, it it had a personal purpose and it had emotional fulfillment, it would tell kids like if you want purpose in your life, then accept Jesus. And the four laws of Campus Crusade for Christ, the first law is God has a purpose for your life. Bill Bright wrote that in the 60s. Challenge kids that you have a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. Your life has meaning. And that was the kind of the approach to make Christianity and Jesus acceptable to college age, high school kids. And so youth culture in the 60s and the 70s, this kind of youth ministry culture really took off in the 60s and 70s. And the, the problem with it, it never actually changed that a lot of churches still say, stay youth culture churches or adolescent churches, or I would call them teenage churches, where actually all the maturity and discipleship is for the youth, even though there's adults and older elderly people who are listening to preaching that's actually preaching to or teaching to adolescents. And so a lot of Christians, even the Christians that are in their 50s and 60s, stay actually teenage Christians, immature Christians, adolescent Christians. 
They convinced youth to, to like Christianity, but it lacked a vision or a content or a process for spiritual maturity. And a lot of churches, and there's a lot of churches in our own town here in Evansville, that I would call adolescent churches that preach adolescent sermons, preaching and teaching for teenagers, even though most of the people in the room aren't teenagers. So it creates a spiritually immature Christian. It creates a spiritually immature church. What they lack is a vision of spiritual maturity that they teach the people. They don't, they, they don't tell, pe- tell people that spiritual maturity is desirable, that it's attainable, that it's visible. You know when someone is spiritually mature by their fruit. Churches tend not to have an intention for spiritual maturity. They don't talk about spiritual maturity. They don't push and, com- and challenge their people to be spiritually mature, even though Paul in, first, in Colossians 1.28 said he labored and struggled so that the church would be spiritually mature or spiritual mature in Christ. And a lot of times they lack the, they don't teach the means or give people the means for spiritual maturity, right? They, they preach or they teach very, very shallow sermons. Their worship music is very shallow. It's adolescent. It's, for, it's juvenile. And they don't teach that. Really what ends up happening is if you don't teach proper doctrine and truth, what ends up actually happening? Churches have, have a lack of love for one another. And what does it typically lead to? Disunity. That's why a lot of times your churches that split happen to be churches that typically are adolescent or teenage churches, juvenile churches. They lack love because they lack truth. So the title of this sermon is In Truth and in Love, Maturity in Christ. So we're looking at 2 John, and here's kind of the main point. As Christians mature in truth and in love, they experience the fullness of God's blessing. As Christians mature in truth and love, they experience the fullness of God's blessing. So point number one, or point number A, if you're taking notes. Dear church, from your loving pastor. Dear church, from your loving pastor. Uh, even though John doesn't give himself the, the kind of the authorship here, it's been known in, throughout church history that this was written by the Apostle John. That's why it's called Second John. He's writing to a church. We don't know what church he's writing to, but he's clearly writing to a church. He calls the, he's an elder to the elect lady. The lady is referring to the church. The church is always referred to in a feminine, I mean, the church is the bride of Christ, right? And her children, These are, he's speaking to members of this church. God's chosen and beloved people. His son's bride, bought with the blood of Christ, as we sang. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. Right? He bought his people with his blood, with his body, with his death. They are God's children. I think if, any, if you are a man in here and you inspire to be an elder of a church, I think this passage, this, book, this letter is, is, is helpful to you. Because you have to remember that you are aspiring to an office where you are a steward and a servant in Christ's church. He calls it his bride. I think that should humble you and give you a sense of fear that that's the office that you inspire to. And John is an elder. He is a pastor of this church. And he knows that this church that he cares for, that he's writing to, is not his church. He doesn't have authority over it, but Christ has authority over it. It's his bride. It's his church. And we, we learn here 
looking at verse 3, that grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. And he's talking about the blessings of God. And grace, mercy, and peace, which is often used in the New Testament, in the beginning of these New Testament letters, either written by Paul or John, he uses these three words to talk about, really to summarize the blessings of God, that God gives you grace that you don't deserve unfavored love. Grace is a word you can define as, you don't deserve it. It's favor. God shows his favor to you. Even though you're a sinner, even though you are are a rebel against God, you're pursuing hell. He shows favor on you. He shows you his mercy. He he shows you his forgiveness. But even that that word peace, you know, we think of peace and war, war and peace, and there's a, a cease of war, so there's peace. Peace is a word that it it all encompasses a lot of things, that God doesn't see you as an enemy. He sees you as a friend. He sees you as a child, and all of his love is directed towards you. And so he has peace with you, and you have peace with God. And it's from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son that all the spiritual blessings in heaven, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, all of the blessings of the heavenly places are given and directed towards you. He has lavished you with his love. And it comes from God and from Jesus Christ. And we, we see here the Trinitarian work of redemption, that your salvation was, was accomplished by, the, the, by, the, by God. And that God planned this, that he ordained this, that he sent his son into the world to die for you, and it was affected by his Holy Spirit. And so he shows you his grace. He shows you his mercy. He shows you his peace. The, the, the blessings of God are directed towards you. And he says, in truth and in love. He kind of uses this, this phrase, in truth and love, to kind of bridge into the next section that he's about to, to address. In truth and in love. These two words are extremely important to this little letter. Truth and love. What is truth? The way that, in the context of this letter, that the truth is God's truth. It's the gospel of Christ. And the teachings are, what did Jesus tell his disciples as he, before he ascended into heaven? Teach them all that I have commanded you. Teach them the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Teach people me. Teach them. Direct them to me. And what is love? We know from John 13 that Jesus shows love by washing his disciples' feet. He shows love and demonstrates love on his death on the cross. We know love because Christ died for us. Love is sacrificial. The way of Christian love is sacrificial. If you look at the famous passage that you always hear in weddings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the way of love, as Paul, as we title it in our ESVs, the way of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. Love hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. Paul even says before this, it's like, if I have, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. What is the way of love? The way of love is through Christ and it's showing Christ to people, being Christ to people, loving people sacrificially and putting others before ourselves. These two words are so important to what John is telling this church. 
And I think these two things are extremely important in the discussion on spiritual maturity. You cannot be mature in Christ if you lack truth. And you cannot be spiritually mature in Christ if you lack love. They're both important. They're important two important pieces to this. The way of love, the way of truth, it, it leads us to build one another into maturity, supporting one another to be mature in Christ. The second point is this. I desire that you walk in the truth. John is instructing this church, and he's a pastor writing to this church. And he's, he says here in verse 4, I have this short little letter, going back to Second, second John. I rejoice greatly, I rejoice exceedingly to find some of your children walking in the truth. He's excited. He's full of joy. He's full of thanksgiving. It leads him to praise God. Why? Because he's found that some of them are walking in the truth, that they're pursuing the truth. He has received reports and testimonies of their growth and their spiritual maturity. This, again, like I said before, this is Paul's goal in his ministry. He he toiled, he struggled that he would present Christ's church mature in Christ. This is his telos. This is his end. This is his goal is to that the people people that he uh, discipled over would be mature in Christ. Not that they would be rich, not that they would be full of uplifting thoughts, that their their self-esteem would be high, that they would, they would enjoy great vacations at the beach. No, no, no. His goal in their life is that they would be spiritually mature. His goal in their life wasn't that they would not have sufferings or that they wouldn't struggle in life. That wasn't one of his goals. His telos was that they would be mature in Christ. What did Paul also say in Romans 8, 28? That, that we'd be conformed into the image of his son, very similar to maturity in Christ. You can say that those phrases are the exact meaning, the same thing, is that Maturity in Christ is also being conformed in the image of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, that, that you would be equipped by the, the leaders of the church, that you would be built up and that you would obtain to maturity, no longer children. We don't want to be children of the faith. We don't want to be, as the writer of Hebrews says, continuing drinking milk and not being able to eat solid food. We want, to, we want you to grow up. We want you not to be a child or an immature believer or a baby believer. We want you to be a mature believer. That was what Paul's goal for his church. And this is also true with John. He wants the, these people to be mature. And he's excited. He's full of joy because he's hearing that they are maturing in Christ, that they're growing in spiritual maturity. John is exceedingly joyful because those in his church are growing up. What if you, as a parent in this room, Think of your kids going off to college, and, and somehow you were able to hear an report on how they were doing. What would you want to hear? That they're going to a lot of parties, right? Do you want to hear that they, oh, they have all these friends that they're going out to doing all these different random things? What would you want, your, what would you want the report to be? As a, as a parent, what would you want your, your children to be growing in? I mean, you want them to do well in their classes, but if you find out they were getting A's in their tests, but they were struggling in their faith, what would, what would make you happy? What would make you exceedingly joyful as a Christian parent is that your kids are growing in the faith, that they're spiritually maturing, that they're growing up in Christ. There's actually an app that I was reading about in the newspaper this week. It was called Life360. Has anyone heard of this app? Yes? 
And basically, the app works is every one of your parents, all y'all are going to download this if you're a mom after I talk about it. Basically, the app allows you to track your kids' movements, even to a point that if they're driving their car, it will tell you how fast they're driving. It'll also tell you if your, if your kid's phone is dying so that you can text your kid, hey, your phone is dying, will you please charge it so I'll make sure you have a cell phone. It gives you all of that details and data. It's crazy. But again, say you had that app, and that app recorded the heart of your children or the heart of the people that you care about and disciple. What would bring you joy? Not that they're not speeding or that their phone's not dead. What would bring you actual joy is that they're growing in the faith. That should bring you joy. That's what made John joyous and thankful to God is because his church that he was over, this, uh, these children, uh, this, this church, uh, he, was, he was extremely glad and, and exceedingly rejoicing to find that some of them were walking in the truth. They were walking in the gospel. The journey towards maturity in Christ begins actually with receiving Christ. Embracing the gospel initially is how the journey to spiritual maturity starts. It begins with repentance and faith. We get that story where Peter preaches at the day of Pentecost. The day of the spiritual journey of the 3,000 started on that day when they repented and put their faith in Christ. And some of you in this room, you've been in the church for a while, but you've actually never put your, your faith in Christ Jesus. You've never repented of your sin. And this whole idea of spiritual maturity is not attainable if you do not have faith in Christ. If you are not, if you do not accept Christ and trust in him the way that Elijah and Kelly did, and then they were baptized in the church, you will never grow to spiritual maturity. So I'm going to encourage you today, during this service, when we take communion, to come down and talk to me, and, and, we, and we can talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Or after the service, we're having lunch, come sit with either me or Dittin or Rob or someone else and, and ask questions and, and, and come and understand the gospel of Christ. Because that's where the journey starts. It has to start with repentance and faith in Christ. Paul, John uses this word walking in the truth. We hear this word walking in the truth, walking in the faith, walking in a manner worthy of the faith, Paul uses. Walk is a word to describe the whole of a person's existence and behavior. That their entire existence and behavior is walking in the truth. And they're continuing walking in the truth. We, we see Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Walk in him. As you've received Christ, Lord, you initially, that's how the journey began. You received Christ. You became a follower of Christ. Now continue to walk in him. We think of a great uh, uh, characters of the Old Testament. It says in Genesis chapters 5 that Enoch walked with God. And because he walked with God, what happened to him? God took him to heaven. Why? Because he walked with God. Not because Enoch somehow, God just like, you know what, I'm just going to pull you to heaven. No, no, he walked with God. And God had fellowship with Enoch. Noah was a man who did what? Walked in righteousness. He walked with God. And then God called him to build the boat, and he saved his family from the flood. Why? Because he walked with God. He walked in his ways. He was obedient to God's words. Abraham walked before God. If, if Abraham was to be the man that God called him to be, he had to do what? Walk with God. Be obedient 
to God. Israel was called in Deuteronomy 5 to do what? To walk in God's commands. Joshua told, his, told the people of, of Israel before he, he died, uh, he says to, to walk in the ways of the Lord, to walk in the counsel of the Lord. Jeremiah 7, 23, it's, uh, Jeremiah says, walk in all the ways that I command you. Walk in the ways of God. Walk in obedience to God. Micah 6, 8, walk humbly with your God. Walk. May that be your entire, may it be your, your existence and your behavior, that may it describe your wholeness, that you are one who does what? Walks in the truth of God. You don't just read it. You don't just know it. You walk in it. You live in it. You reside in it. Do you care to grow up in the faith of Christ, or are you stuck in Christian adolescence? If you are stuck in Christian adolescence, your problem is, is that you're not walking in the truth. You kind of believed, well, I walked down the aisle, a pastor prayed over me, I was baptized, I'm good. Incorrect. Incorrect. You're an adolescent Christian, and you've not matured in the faith because you're not walking in the truth. And you're not pursuing knowledge of the truth. And I, I'm speaking uh, to all of you, but I especially want to speak to if you're a college student in the room. It's, it's, it's easy when you become a student in college to commit to a lot of things. You commit to new friends. You can commit to a new place of living. Uh, you can commit to a new major and a new study. But it's easy not to commit to spiritual maturity. Because that seems so old. It seems so like what old people do. I, I, I've got things to do. I've got things to experience. I'm not going to commit to spiritual maturity. You can commit to intellectual maturity, but not spiritual maturity. I know that you have big dreams. You have big ambitions. You have big plans. But do you have plans to grow spiritually at all? If you do have plans to grow spiritually, or you don't, if you don't, I want to challenge you to reconsider. And in your reconsidering, and in your thoughts, here's the, here's the one important ingredient that a lot of college students don't do. I did this, so I'm a failure, and I'm one of the, 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 the failure stories of this. Do not put the church to the back burner. If you want to be mature in Christ, if you want your college years to really matter and you want to say at the end of your four or five years that I grew in Christ, then you have to get involved in church. You have to. If you think, think you can just get involved in a campus ministry or get involved with some Christian friends and y'all can get together and, and share the Bible, that's great, but you will not grow to spiritual maturity. You cannot believe me and then after five years you can come to me and tell me I'm right because I'm right. And you can ask other students in this room and they'll tell you the same thing. That if you don't get involved in the, in the church, you will most likely not walk in the truth. And you definitely probably will not walk in love. And it will not lead to spiritual maturity. Commit to spiritual maturity. Don't be satisfied with Christian adolescence. If you're not a believer and you're a college student and we're talking about spiritual maturity, first you must repent and put your faith in Christ and then commit to walking in the truth. And here's one thing I'm going I'm to say. This, this is a little selfish. I'm going to say it. Your committing to spiritual maturity allows me and us to be exceedingly joyful in your maturity. 
When we say at the end of four or five years, when you've been here, we can say, that person grew and that makes me happy. That makes me full of joy because you committed to spiritual maturity and God has blessed you and we have seen you mature here and we were a part of that. And like John, we get to be full of joy. So the fake of our joy commits the church and commit to spiritual maturity. Here's the third thing. I desire that you walk in love. I desire that you walk in love. So he talked about walking in the truth. This is an important ingredient to spiritual maturity. You must walk in the truth of the gospel. You must walk in the teachings of Christ. But now you must walk in love. John says here, going back to 2 John. Now I ask you, dear lady, as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. He's not giving a new commandment, but the one that they have heard from the beginning, which is to love one another. John said in 1 John 3.11 that we should love one another. That we should be a community of people who are being transformed to be like Christ. And as people who are growing to be like Christ and conforming to Christ and being mature in Christ, we then are encouraging one another to share that same spiritual transformation with the world. They will know us by what? Our love for one another. They will know the Father. They will know the Son by our love for one another. And Paul, I mean, John encourages this church to walk again, walk, not only in love, but to, I mean, not only in truth, but to walk in love according to his commandments. And John is referring to the social commandments of the Ten Commandments, right? And what are the social commands of the Ten Commandments? To love one another. That is the, the summary, to love your neighbor. Jesus in Matthew 7, 12 gives us the golden rule, right? To love others as ourselves. We are to walk in love. This should be our existence. This should be our practice. We should walk in love. We should care for one another. We should serve one another. We should put others before ourselves. When we're walking in the truth, when we're walking in the truth of God's word, when we understand that God is sovereign, that God is in control of all things, that his word has authority over our lives, when we know this and believe it, it leads us to do what? To follow God's practices and example and model, and that, and that is the love, and to show grace. The fruit of our walking in the truth is love for the fellow saints. We should accompany learning with fellowship on this road to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not a road for just yourself as you gobble up information and knowledge and go to Bible studies. That's not, it's not a path for the individual alone. It's a, it's a path that is joined with a company of people who are pursuing the same goal. It's what I love about Pilgrim's Progress. It's not that Christian does this journey by himself, but he always has a companion the fellowship and love. As they walk in the truth, they're also walking in love for one another. Typically, as sinful people, our emotions are full of pride and self-righteousness. But as we are instructed by Paul in Philippians 2, 1 through 16, Jesus sets the model of doing what? Putting others before ourselves. Being the servant, even to the point of death. 
when Paul talks about Jesus as a model, he's a model of love. And if you want to know how to love people, you must look to the gospel story of Jesus. He shows us love. When we're full of pride, when we're full of self-righteousness, when we're full of bitterness and sinful anger, we should look to the gospels of Christ and go, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, compassion, patience, and love. And when we do that, we build one another up. And when we do that, we are unified. And we are encouraging one another to grow in spiritual maturity. The communal aspect to your spiritual maturity, that we build each other up in love. We spend time together in fellowship. We read scripture together. We pray together. We confess sins together. We worship together. We serve together. We feast together. Why are these things important? Why do we do these together and not just stuck in our dorm room or stuck in our homes? Why do we go out and join one another? Because that's how we grow in spiritual maturity. We cannot do this. The path is too difficult to do it alone. It is impossible to do it alone. It is unattainable alone. You must do it in fellowship with one another and love. You cannot grow to maturity in Christ looking uh, looking, uh, looking at yourself, uh, uh, looking only to yourself, stuck in, st- locking yourself away in your home or apartment, isolating from others. Anxiety, pride, fear do not lead to spiritual maturity. If you're someone who is, I am an introverted person. I am very introverted. I have been extremely introverted in my past. And what my tendency in those situations is, is to do what? To stay away from people to be afraid of interacting with people, to be afraid. Uh, and, and usually what the problem is, it's a, it's, a, it's a pride issue. The problem is, is you, can, you can linger there for too long, and when you linger there for too long, you will never grow, and you'll never grow up, and you never grow up spiritually because you're not relying on people. We must put on love. By loving others, you're walking humbly with Christ. Here's the last point. I desire that you have God in Christ, therefore abide in his teaching. Paul here, I mean, John here in in verse 7 kind of changes gears a little bit. The Greek has the word because, your English doesn't, but because of many deceivers that have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, such a one is a deceiver in the Antichrist. Watch yourself. Because these people are around, Watch yourself, that you may not lose what what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead does not abide in the teachings of Christ. There's these false teachings, these deceivers. They're not practicing Christian love. They're creating disunity because of their false teaching. It's interesting, false teaching leads to disunity. It always does. False teachings does not lead to harmony and unity in the Spirit because there's false teaching. It's not of God. It's not of the Spirit. And so John is concerned that they will no longer grow spiritually if they listen to false teaching, teaching that is not based on the truth. And by by believing something that's not based on the truth, they will then fall into not loving and walking in love. And so here's the test that he gives this church. Here's your test to make sure you don't fall into these traps. They don't confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. Meaning that, not that they believe that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, 
But they don't believe that Jesus is still in the flesh. They don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. They don't believe that Christ mediates at the right hand of the Father. Why is the resurrection of Christ so important? It's where our justification sits and lands. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, if we cannot celebrate that glorious day where Christ raised from the dead, we have no justification in Christ. We are still guilty before God, and we are destined to hell. And without Christ mediating at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest, we have no, no hope for sanctification. We have no hope for spiritual transformation if Christ is not mediating to the right hand of the Father. Jesus being in the flesh is so significant to our faith. And if Christ doesn't return in the flesh, what is the hope of our glorification and our victory with Christ? So that phrase, Jesus coming in the flesh, is so important. And these teachers were saying Jesus is not in the flesh. Basically saying that the gospel of Christ, the heart of the Christian faith, is not, they're, they're teaching a lie. They're teaching something that is untrue. The power of our spiritual transformation is in the gospel of Christ, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and rose from the dead and is in flesh. He sits at the right hand of the Father in the, in the flesh and it will return in the flesh. Our maturity in Christ is rooted in that truth. And that's why John here is, is, is telling them and warning them not to fall into this trap, not to fall in, into this deception. He says, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Don't succumb to false teachings. These, these, if you fall into false teachings, what is true about you is what John says in 1 John 2.19. They did not really belong to us. They really weren't another faith. If they followed false teachings and left then they never were a part of us. That's why John is, is fearful for them, because if they fall into false teaching and succumb to this deception, then the true faith they never had and the spirit they never had and they lacked, and they will not receive the full reward. Here's the danger of the teenage Christianity, the adolescent Christianity, the juvenile Christianity. It lacks maturity, and so what the temptings of the world, the false teachings, you will be led away. And so you're so easily led away. Why? Because you have no depth. You have no maturity. And you lose the full blessings of God. You lose the grace and the mercy and peace of God. Because you never had it in the first place. You can't lose salvation. But if you succumb to, to weak teaching and you think you're a Christian because you, you go to this adolescent church and you like the worship music, but then when you hear other false teachings and you're succumbed to it, you're led away, and what is true is that you actually were never one of us. The abandoning of the gospel of Christ, Christ is not enough, that you need some secret knowledge or some secret information, Gnosticism, mysticism, adding other beliefs or works as necessary for salvation. That is not abiding in the truth of Christ. You're not remaining in the teachings of Christ, and it results in you not having God, which is where grace, mercy, and peace reside. I love Psalms chapter 4. It's one of my favorite psalms. I read it this week, and it reminded me of this. Psalms chapter 4. This is a psalm of David. He says, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your, on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than, than they have when the grain and a wine abound. In peace, I will be both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. But I think what you see there is the grace and the mercy and peace that you experience when you're with God or you're, you have God. David has God, so he can sleep in peace. Even when his enemies want to destroy him and kill him, he can sleep in peace. Why? Because he rests in God. He knows grace. He knows mercy. He knows peace. Why? Because he has God. If you don't abide in the teachings of Christ, you don't have God. And if you don't have God, you don't have his grace, his mercy, and his peace. And if you don't have his peace, you're actually an enemy of God and under his judgment. That's why John is so concerned about this church. He wants them to know the truth. He wants them to walk in the truth. He wants them to walk in love. He doesn't want them to succumb to false teaching. Because if they do succumb to false teaching, then it actually means they never had God. And if they never have God, they also won't have grace, mercy, peace. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If you fail to have a proper understanding of God and of the ways of God, which is Christ Jesus, who was crucified, raised, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and is coming again to bring his people home, you will fail to have God. If you don't believe and trust in the teachings of Christ, if you don't teach that Christ came crucified, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he's returning, if you don't believe in the Christian faith, you don't have God. You don't have him. You fail to have him. Maturity in the truth, which begins with initial faith and continual walking in the truth. You experience fellowship with God the Father and His Son. If you want the spiritual blessings of God, if you want His blessings to pour upon you and be lavished upon you, you must abide in the teachings of Christ. You must continue to walk in truth. You must continue to walk in love. So here's a, here's a conclusion. I think we need a vision for maturity. If you don't have a vision or desire for maturity, I, I, my, this whole point of this sermon and this teaching is to challenge you and to argue with you and plead with you that you should strive and pursue spiritual maturity in Christ. To have a Christ-focused, Christ, cross-resurrected, shaped life. That the cross and the resurrection shapes your life. Do you understand that you died to your sin, that you died to yourself, and you realize that you're united in Christ, and that's where your life is? for he is your Lord. You, you should desire it the way that Paul desired to know Christ. What did Paul say in Philippians 3? He considered all of his achievements and all of his trophies as rubbish in comparison to what? Knowing Christ. What you see there is Paul saying maturity in Christ is desirable. You should desire this as I desire it. You should understand that it's attainable, that Christ Jesus saved you and his desire for you is to grow in his likeness. That's why Paul says in 1, 6, Philippians 1, 6, that what God started, he will bring to completion in you the day of Christ. And that is visible, that you can know that you're growing spiritually because of the fruit of your life, that your life is producing spiritual fruit. First thing you have to know, you have to know the truth of God's word. You have to come to church. If you want to grow spiritually, you must come to church. Why? What's so special about coming to church? 
is because we hear God's word constantly. You heard so many passages to just today, in an hour and a half, an hour and a half, you will hear more passages than most people will read in years. You will hear just here on Sunday morning. You need to hear the word of God. You need to hear it preached. You need to worship. You need to sing it. You need to speak it. You need the word of God, and coming to church is a great place to hear God's word. The second thing is you need to hear teaching. You need to go to Bible studies. You need to go to small groups. You need to be around God's people, and you need to learn. You need to read personally in your own study, in your, own, in your home. You need to regularly read God's word. The second thing is you need to love others. You need to show kindness and grace to others. You need to serve one another. You need to serve your church. These are all things you need to do to grow spiritually. I'm not trying to throw a bunch of stuff at you. I'm not trying to throw you a laundry list of things, but if your desire is to know Christ above everything, then this should be something that you desire to follow. Let me give you some some very practical things, and I'm going to end. We're changing some things up here at Redeemer. We're no longer doing growth groups. What we're wanting to do is, is provide ways for people to fellowship, but also for places for people to learn. So one of the things that we're going to be doing, that the old kind of small group with in-homes are going to be fellowship groups. You're just going to get together. You're going to fellowship with one another. You're going to go over the sermon together. You're going to talk about what you learned, what you thought was good, what you were encouraged by. You're going to, that we're going to have men and women's fight clubs that will be meeting during the week, places where you can go. You can share things that are going on in your life. You can ask for people to pray for you. You can confess sin. The second thing is we're going to have Bible studies. We're going to have a study on 1 John that you can come to. We're going to get in the Word, and it's not going to be much fellowship. You're going to show up, and we're going to learn from God. We're going to have doctrinal classes, that classes about theology. Again, you're going to come, you're going to learn. We're going to teach. You're going to have one-on-one conversation with mature believers. If you want to talk with me or Denton or Robert or one of the other leaders of our church, then you set up a one-on-one meeting with us. We will talk. And we'll go through things together. These are ways, these are from practical ways that you can immediately today start in in pursuing and growing spiritually. We want to walk with you on the path to maturity in Christ. Will you walk with us? Will you walk with us? It begins with repentance and faith in Christ. That's where it starts. If you're not a Christian, it starts with repentance and faith in Christ. Come talk to us today. If you are a believer in this room and, you're, and you're, you're recognizing that you need to grow spiritually, you, like Paul says, wants to know Christ above all others, that I want to encourage you to, to start seeking these things out, asking us about them, and attending the things that you can come to, and pursuing spiritual maturity and walking with us to spiritual maturity. Let's, will you pray with me? So Lord, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for this, again, this, this pursuit of growing into a maturity in Christ, doing it in truth and in love. And Lord, as we seek this new, um, new season in the life of Redeemer, we're putting a huge emphasis on spiritual maturity, providing pathways and, 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 and Bible studies and, and fellowship groups to, to encourage and to uh, walk with and to provide content, um, to challenge people of of your church to grow into spiritual maturity. Lord, we want to be full of joy at the maturity and the growth of the people in this church, that they're growing up in the faith. 
that they're hungry to know Christ. They're hungry to know his word. They're hungry to know his teaching. They're desire to love one another, desire to serve one another. Lord, we want to celebrate the markers in people's maturity, Lord. We want to celebrate as John celebrates. Lord, I pray, Lord, that that would be a focus here and a focus of the hearts of the people, that we would challenge and push people and walk with people to be mature in Christ. Lord, we praise you, we love you, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would walk with us, that your spirit would guide us. We love you, Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.